welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Good morning. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. Great to be with you all here today. We are nearing the end of our Shalom series, but you may or may not have noticed the gorgeous new floors that we've gotten. Um, I think they're better than the ones that we had before, so it all worked out. Uh, And hopefully, this will be the last time we change the floors for quite a while. Um, we're We're at the end of our Shalom series for the week, talking about what does it mean to have the peace of God within our lives, looking at that Hebrew word for peace of shalom, and we've talked about different aspects about it, and how as we've gone through this season of discernment as a church, how the peace of God should be with us, even in the middle of conflict, even in the middle of chaos, even in the middle of all that seems to be going on around us. And for today's message, I've thought about it pretty much every waking moment uh, this week. And we're going to be talking about the importance of forgiveness in shalom, the importance of forgiveness in peace with one another. And we scheduled to talk about this before we knew what the outcome of the vote was, because we knew that whichever way it would fall, uh, there's going to need to be some forgiveness. And so today we're looking, if you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.21 is where we're going to be reading from today. But a real quick, for the context of the book of, or the the Sermon on the Mount specifically. This text is found within the Sermon on the Mount, which uh, is sort of Jesus going up to a mountain or a high place, and he's teaching the people of Galilee. And Matthew is kind of painting Jesus almost like a second Moses here. That when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and he brought down the law from the glory of God, that Jesus goes up to a mountain and he teaches uh, what is sort of the epitome of Christian discipleship. What is the high bar of Christian discipleship? John Wesley wrote over 12 sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. He called the Sermon on the Mount the sum of true religion. In other words, this is the aspiration, the high calling to which Jesus calls all of us as his followers. Um, I've said this before, one of my favorite Wesley sayings is that the commands of God are his promises. That when we read the commands of God and what Jesus calls us to do, that's a promise of what the grace of God can do in our lives to bring transformation. And so the Sermon on the Mount has all these really difficult sayings about Christian discipleship. All these really hard things, all these high callings of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we'll see is that most of what the Sermon on the Mount is, is very countercultural. It's very countercultural to the culture we live in, but it's also very counter to our own sinful spirit and our own sinful nature. You know, in a, in a culture that we live in today, it's not a very forgiving one, is it? It's very much a, you make one mistake and I'm going to cut you out of my life. Or you say something wrong and it's time to cast you aside and it's time to get rid of you. Whereas the call of Christ that we see today is one of forgiveness and reconciliation. It's a reminder that the call of Christian discipleship is a difficult call. Jesus says the way to life is narrow and few find it. Jesus says if you want to be my follower 
You have to take up your cross and die daily. Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever lays down his life will find it. You know, I was at New Room about a week and a half ago, and one of the speakers says that the, to follow Jesus, it's actually pretty simple, but it's very costly because it calls us to lay down our very lives. And so we hear about this high call of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. We come to what Jesus says in Matthew's gospel. Hear the word of the Lord. You have heard it said that it, you have heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be subject to the danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we see here in this passage, this is sort of the first of the Jesus saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And this uh, is talking about murder. And, you know, it's interesting is Jesus raises the bar of what it means to be a follower of Christ, of what it means to be a follower of God. That according to the law in the Old Testament, it was don't murder, don't do these external things. And that's all that they tried to focus on was sort of behavior modification, Now, if I can just follow all the right rules, then everything will work out for me. And what Jesus is kind of getting at here is this deeper issue about your heart. That Jesus says, if you don't murder someone, but you really want to murder someone, that's kind of an issue to me. That Jesus is saying, if you're angry with someone, if you're angry with someone, that's what I care about as well, not just are you murdering someone But do you harbor hatred and anger deep within your heart? It's about this deep and profound transformation, this deep and profound inward transformation that Jesus wants to bring into our lives. And it's this really hard call that when we read this text, that Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and remember that someone has something against you, go and be reconciled to them. Go and seek forgiveness. Go and find restored relationship with them before you offer your offering to the Lord. This high and difficult calling of Jesus. You know, he's talking to the people of Galilee. Uh, this is where he's giving the Sermon on the Mount. And in those days, you, would, you could only offer your offering at the altar of God in Jerusalem. And so if the people of Galilee wanted to go and do an offering to the Lord, they had to travel a few days' journey to Jerusalem. And so Jesus is giving this image of you've traveled all this way to Jerusalem, you've brought your offering with you, and then you get to the altar and you remember that you and your brother are in conflict. Jesus says, stop right there. Go back to Galilee. Find your brother or sister and be reconciled to them. Just this raising up of what it means to be a follower of Christ. But if we desire to live in this shalom, this peace, this peace that God wants us to live into, peace with one another, then we have to be a people who are characterized by forgiveness. So why does God call us to forgive? Have you ever wondered that? Why does Jesus tell me to forgive all the time? 
You know, we need to forgive someone whenever we've been wounded or we have wounded someone. We need to seek out forgiveness if we've wounded someone, and we need to forgive if we have been wounded. But why does God call us to do this? I think, first of all, is that when we look at the, the damaging effects of sin, you know, we often talk about sin damaging our relationship between us and God. You know, we, we've sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul writes in Romans. And I think we emphasize the, the broken relationship that we have with God through our sin. But sin not only damages our relationship, our vertical relationship between us and God, it damages our horizontal relationships with one another as well. And we were made to be in relationship with one another. When you go back to the opening chapters of Genesis and you read about the Garden of Eden and the only time that God says something is not good in Genesis is when Adam is alone in the garden. The only time God says it's not good is when Adam is not in community. And so we look that God creates community and that's meant to be good for us, that we are designed, that's in our very being, is to be in community with one another. We are meant to be in community with God and in community with one another. And then sin comes into the middle of that and just wrecks everything up. It destroys not only our relationship with God, but with one another. One of my favorite Wesley sermons is his sermon on original sin. And he argues in that sermon that the effects of sin prevent us from fully knowing the nature of other beings. That suddenly we, like when Adam is naming all of the animals, that he sees their nature and he names them based on their nature. And he says that when sin comes into our lives, that it clouds our minds and that all we see is the darkness. John Wesley wrote this. The human mind mistook falsehood for truth and truth for falsehood. Error succeeded in increased ignorance, and no wonder. When it was no longer clear, when it not only saw through glass but darkly too, that glass being now grown thick and dull, instead of being able to find out the nature of 10,000 creatures almost in a moment, it was unable to trace out fully the nature of any one in many years. In other words, what John Wesley is getting at is that because of sin and the fall and the damaging effects of sin, that our minds are unable to fully know another person. That's almost like seeing through a dark, dark glass. This means that when it comes to our relationships with one another, we assume the worst about each other. We assign bad motives to the other person. We don't fully trust because we don't fully know or sometimes we'll trust the wrong people and then feel the sting of betrayal. We get angry when something doesn't go the way that we want it to go. That there's this profound relational tear that sin creates in our lives. And so it's almost like we're living within this tension that we were created to be in community with one another. God created us. It says it's not good for man to be alone. That, so he creates us to be in perfect community with one another. And yet we are people who sin. And I think we're people who sin a lot. And that causes just this profound relational tear between each other. That being in community is in our DNA. And yet we can't live into the perfect community that God designed for us. We hurt one another. 
we wound one another, and we carry around all this unforgiveness deep within our soul. And so God calls us to forgive because the remedy for broken relationships is forgiveness and reconciliation. The remedy of God of broken relationships is forgiveness and reconciliation. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. We know that because that's what Jesus does on the cross for us. That's what Jesus does on the cross for us, that the way that we are forgiven, the way that that vertical relationship between us and God is healed is through a bloody, gory death on a Roman cross, that Jesus gave his life for us, that when God fixes our relationship with him, he does so by the forgiveness of sins through Jesus because there needed to be a sacrifice because a holy and perfect God cannot stand the sight of sin. And for God, forgiveness is costly. It cost him his only son. And Jesus, in dying on the cross, he took our sins, our punishment, our guilt on himself so that we can be forgiven and in perfect relationship, perfect restored relationship to the Father again. And so we have this broken relationship with God that Jesus heals and restores and redeems by forgiving us through the cross and reconciling us back to God that where we were once enemies, we are now friends of God. And just as we have broken relationship with God, we have broken relationship with one another because of our sin. God's remedy is the exact same, forgiveness through the cross of Jesus. When you read the Gospels, you see Jesus talking about forgiveness an awful lot. Even within the Sermon on the Mount, we just read this one passage where Jesus talks about going and reconciling with your brother or sister. And to be reconciled, there needs to be forgiveness. There needs to be confession of sin. There needs to be admitting, I have wronged you, you have wronged me. Forgiveness and then bringing back together. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gives uh, us the Lord's Prayer, what does it say in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. In fact, when you read the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew 6, 14, the only verse of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus expands upon is the forgiveness one. It says in 6, 14, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That the only passage Jesus expands upon is the forgiveness one. And I think that's because Jesus knows how hard it is for us to forgive each other. That we kind of like holding on to unforgiveness. That he knows that it's hard for us to do. And even later... In the uh, uh, Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister? Should I forgive him seven times? 
expecting Jesus to be like, attaboy, good job, Peter, seven times is the perfect number. And then Jesus, again, just raises that bar of discipleship, raises what it means to be a follower of his and says, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then he goes on to tell this parable. It's interesting, the rabbis in those days said that if you forgive someone three times, that's really all the Lord asks of you. That if you just, you have a three strike, you're out minimum. And so Peter goes to the Lord and he's like, Lord, I know those rabbis say uh, three times, but I say seven times. What do you think of that, Jesus? Aren't I holy? It's more than double what the holy rabbis are asking of me. And Jesus says, no, not seven, 70 times seven. This unending well of forgiveness, this unending hard call of Christ on our lives to be his followers. And God models the way of forgiveness for us by dying on a cross, by shouting down from the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing as he's literally hanging and dying by their hands. And God calls us to follow his example. If your brother has something against you, if your sister has something against you, go and be reconciled to them. Go and ask for forgiveness. Go and seek forgiveness. Go and forgive. And then you come back to the altar and the Lord will accept your offering. That for Jesus, it's so important that we are a people who are characterized by reconciliation and forgiveness, that we admit our wrongs to one another, that we seek forgiveness from one another, not just that we forgive one another, but we are willing to say, I have wronged you, will you forgive me? Because this is the shalom, this is the peace, this is what Jesus wants for us and for his church. That Jesus is not only reconciling us to God, but reconciling us to one another. That the image of Jesus in Revelation is a bride at her wedding feast where we are all together in the heavenly courts and we are feasting at God's table together. Where we are all in shalom with God and with each other. Because the good news of Jesus Christ is not just the salvation of our souls, but the salvation of our world and the salvation of our relationships. And if we want to follow Christ, if we want to be his disciples, if we want to have this shalom that he gives us, then we need to be a people who are characterized by forgiveness. And this is a high and hard call in every one of our lives. You know, multiple times during the week when I do my prayer time with the Lord, he'll be like, all right, Jeremy, it's time to forgive again. It's like, Lord, I just did that yesterday. What do you mean I gotta do it again? He's like, doesn't matter, time to forgive again. It's this constant need to forgive and it's hard because sometimes we don't want to. Sometimes we've been deeply wounded by someone and we don't wanna forgive them. Sometimes it feels like we're constantly forgiving someone who always comes back and wounds us again and again. It's like, Lord, I don't know if I can forgive this person again. But forgiveness is not primarily for the other person, but it's primarily for our souls. It's primarily for our souls. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, um, you may know him, he wrote the book, Cost of Discipleship. He's probably best known for trying to assassinate Hitler, Um, But he also wrote a great book called The Cost of Discipleship. 
where he was a pastor sort of standing up against uh, Nazism and the rise of Nazi Germany. And he talks about this hard call of Christ on our life, and he contrasts sort of what's the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. And Bonhoeffer writes this, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. But costly grace is the treasure in the hidden field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all of his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which a disciple will leave his nets and follow him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought after again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. So as we look at the idea of forgiveness, the costly grace, the costly way of following after Christ, it's this pearl that do we truly believe that when God says forgiveness is the way to the kingdom of God, do we truly believe that that is the pearl of great price, that that is the thing by which we must give our lives for, that that is the, the epitome of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? We believe that when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, do we believe that he says, forgive one another in the same breath? Do we believe, if we truly believe that when we go to Jesus and say, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. If we truly believe it when Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly, if we truly believe that this Jesus is worth following after, then it will cost us everything because God has given us everything so that we can have this life. And that includes laying down all this unforgiveness that we carry around with us because forgiveness is costly. Every time we forgive, it's costly. Um, one of my professors, my healing professor actually, um, he wrote a book called Wounds That Heal and it's one of my favorite books. And he writes this about forgiveness. He says, whenever we forgive, we bear pain. That's why forgiveness is always costly. Parents, for example, may choose to forgive a wayward child. You could even maybe flip it around. Children who uh, need to forgive a wayward parent. But what the child has done is broken their hearts and brought shame on the family. Instead of demanding the child suffer for causing them to suffer, Forgiveness will entail the parents' vicarious suffering, their sacrificial bearing of the pain inflicted upon them. Theologian H.R. McIntosh says, in every great forgiveness, there is enshrined great agony. That this costly grace, this costly way of forgiveness is in the way of Jesus, who bears our pain, who bears our shame, who it cost him everything to bring forgiveness to us. You know, in the, in the book, Dr. Siemens also talks about that every time we forgive, it's like a mini crucifixion in our soul. 
that we choose to follow the way of Christ. We choose to take up our cross and bear the pain, bear the injustice that was done to us. Um, I know I'm not the most popular person at this church right now. And I know that preaching this sermon may come across just like, well, just forgive me and everything will be fine. Or just forgive those who hurt you and then everything will be well. But that's not what I'm getting at here today. What I'm saying is when I read the gospel, when I read the teachings of Jesus, when I read after his example, I truly believe that if we desire to be forgiven, we need to be a people who forgive. That the call of Christ is a high and difficult call to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. And that as followers of Christ, he tells us to step out in faith and trust that his way is better than our way, even if we're not sure or even if we don't believe him. That our souls are better having forgiveness dwell in our hearts than harboring the hatred and unforgiveness which seems so easy for us to carry around. Unforgiveness, um, you may have noticed that there's a basket of laundry right here. We're going to share what this is about. And it's clean laundry, actually. I told Erica, leave dirty laundry for me, and she said, no, I'm not about that. So this is all clean laundry. Um, But what unforgiveness does in the human heart, anytime someone wounds us or anytime uh, we wound someone else and we just carry around this unforgiveness, it's like taking up dirty, stinky laundry in our hands, in our arms. And sometimes it can be big, sometimes it can be small, as big as a t-shirt, or as little as a little towel, or as little as a little sock. And when we harbor this unforgiveness deep within us, it just starts to to pile up. That one time may not seem like that big of a deal, but soon, as we just choose not to forgive, as we choose to just harbor all this anger, all this hatred, all all this junk in our lives, we just are carrying around a bunch of dirty laundry. Now, if you've ever carried dirty laundry from your hamper to the washer, it smells really bad, especially some, some laundry is a bit more stinky. This is the gym clothes uh, laundry basket, and it just smells. And eventually, if you're just carrying around all this laundry with you, carrying around all this unforgiveness and hatred, it begins to stink up your soul. And the call of Jesus is to take all of these people, all of these wounds that have hurt us, all these things that we carry with us. He tells us to go to the cross of Christ and leave it all at the foot of the cross where there is healing, hope, reconciliation, forgiveness, and freedom. And then with our arms empty, we can receive everything that Christ has for us. I want to close by reading this quote from Dr. Siemens. He says this, By giving the people that have wronged us over to God, we also give ourselves to God. Parts of ourselves that we have been holding on to are now entrusted to God. No wonder there is such healing power in forgiveness. When we release others to God, we give up control, and then his presence and power are released in us. Forgiveness is not a silver bullet that fixes every relationship but it is the way of Jesus. It's the way of the cross, and it's a start for healing and reconciliation. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. As we are reminded of the forgiveness that God calls us to, we come to the communion table where we remember 
the sacrifice of Jesus. We remember the cross of Christ. Um, Haley, I think we could just do two stations for today. Uh, We remember the cross of Christ. We remember that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it, said, this is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, Father, said, this is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we can be transformed, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can offer that forgiveness to the world around us, so that we can be a light in the darkness, a city on the hill, salt of the earth. Lord, come and convict us of our unforgiveness. Lord, help us where we don't want to forgive. Help us to just take the first step to say, Lord, I want to forgive and just honor that. Lord, come and do a new thing in each and every one of our lives. Bring reconciliation where there needs to be reconciliation. And Lord, if there's someone that you are laying on our hearts that we need to go and be reconciled with right now, like you say, Lord, have us, give us the courage to do that now. Lord Jesus, we just come before you today as we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen.